0: Hey folks, Ryan Kennedy here. Welcome back to the show. I'm joined today by Dr. Gary, who is a board certified internal medicine physician who really specializes in preventative care, nutrition, metabolism, and anti-aging medicine. And so I was really excited to get Dr. Gary on the show. He's the founder of Evolve Healthcare in Los Angeles, uh, which is an integrative medicine clinic focused on disease prevention and lifestyle optimization. He's also the co founder of Sapien. As uh, many of my listeners might remember, I had his colleague Brian Sanders on the show a while back talking about the Sapien diet and lifestyle and the film that they're putting together with this. Um, So I brought Gary on the show today because he doesn't practice in even a remotely close way to most physicians. And I say that in a very good way, you know, because he takes a more holistic approach and really helps people address the root cause and changes in diet, lifestyle, environment, and so on, similar to the way I run my practice and help people get well. And so to kick things off today, Gary, uh, I'd like you to start by kind of explaining your journey from you know, allopathic medical training to this realization you came to that there's a better way to help people get well that's not in line with the standard of care of you know, prescribing pharmaceuticals and kind of sending people on their way, and how you really came to utilizing this integrative approach. Thank you so much for having
1: me on, Ryan. I'm so excited to be here. Um, but yeah, just to get through the story. Um, basically, I went to medical school sort of, <clears throat> kind of, look, my family's in medicine, so I should say that I was more aware of the medical system, but that that's not true. I mean, I was a kid when my mom you know, built her practice. Uh, she's a podiatrist. Um, She's actually an MD DPM. She's an amazing lady and inspired me to become a doctor. I, I tried my hand in a number of different um, fields. I, I worked on a bunch of neuroscience publications, almost went the PhD route, um, even tried my hand at real estate. I, I had a band. I, I mean, I did a bunch of stuff, right? And and all things that I was really passionate about. Um, so uh, I went to medical school kind of with, you know, my eyes open, but not really sure what to expect. Um, Sure enough, I, I my experience was always that I was questioning everything, question, question, question. I got to residency for internal medicine because I really wanted to be as well-rounded a physician, have as much knowledge base as I could, um, because that was what I was passionate about. You know, um, as I went through residency, it was just constant fr- frustration. I mean, I've said it before; it just was. Every rotation was shocking. How how you know it was. In my, you know, looking back on it, it was just very much driven to push drugs, push procedures, and we never really talked about other options. Whenever I asked about nutrition, whenever I asked about lifestyle things, um, it was always like, well, that's not what we do, you know, or or they didn't have an answer. Um, I really connected with end of life care, so like hospice palliative care, because that was the part of the Western medicine system where I really could do lifestyle medicine, um, you know. And, and I excelled, I have good interpersonal skills and, and it was something I was, just became passionate about. Um, I couldn't do a specialty because I just couldn't see myself continuing more years of the same sort of, you know, Western medicine approach. I felt like I learned a lot. I had crazy interesting experiences dealing with the sickest patients. Uh, it was an amazing training at Indiana University And, um, just basically started my own practice was working in the hospital and just had, at that point, my eyes were really open to like, there's way more than just what I was trained on different doctors practice differently. And there's just a whole slew of healthcare practitioners that might not be MDs or DOs that, that have a different approach and have really successful results. So that opened my eyes. Um, As I was kind of building my practice, I really had no idea where I would go with it. Um, They didn't really train me to be a primary care doctor. As an internist, I'm mostly trained to take care of sick people in the hospital. That's what I was, you know, I was very, very, very highly trained to do that. And so with a private primary care practice, I was really able to develop my own practice style. Um, Brian is one of my best friends, is a brilliant guy, and he would challenge so many of my ideas. He would challenge a lot of basically what I was taught. And instead of arguing with him, I learned and he put me on different books, uh, podcasts, um, and just kind of helped me open my mind. And it was just a, it was just a process of learning and learning and learning. And, and I landed on what we call now life, lifestyle medicine. Some people call it integrative medicine in the sense that being, uh, you know, trained in Western medicine, I have all those tools. It's not like I've abandoned them. I'm very good managing medications. And sometimes it's very, very important, especially when people are sick, you know, we do have good treatments for them, but when it came to curing, when it came to preventing disease, when it came to real transformational stuff, right, which I saw people doing, I didn't have those tools. And so kind of through the Sapien um, platform, if you will. We, I, we learned together. Um, I built a network. I've been on a bunch of podcasts and, and read so much. And, and I, my practice has evolved into, I think, a true integrative medicine practice where my patients get the experience of not just the, all the training I had, but all of the knowledge I've gained about, you know, Eastern medicine practices, lifestyle medicine practices, questioning our current recommendations when it comes to lifestyle medicine. And I think that's where I really shine in that, um, I'm not afraid to go against the recommendations and, and offer, you know, novel ideas, even though so much of what we talk about, Ryan, is not really novel, right? No, we're, it's we're, not. Go, we're going back to basics, right? Yeah. We're, we're looking at history of humanity. We're looking at anthropology, archaeology. Uh, we're looking at a lot of it as common sense. <laughs> we're, we're learning about the history of the food system and the drug system and understanding which parts are amazing and great and powerful and which parts are not so good and should be questioned, specifically like nutrition, which is, you know, something I'm passionate about. So, that that's how it's gone. And, you know, through, through Sapien and through my clinic, I've just, I've had some amazing stories. Um, Just, just stuff that seemed miraculous when I was a trainee, that that's become typical, right? People able to lose weight, people able to reverse diabetes, um, you know, managing mental health issues with lifestyle tactics. It's really powerful. And, and I'm, I'm still learning every single day, you know, every single day. And I'm, I'm, I'm like a, like a fan as much as I am, you know, an educator at this point, because Mm -hmm. I I have to learn, I have to keep learning. There's so much out there and, um, you know,
0: I love it. Yeah. That really speaks to a key attribute of yours of having an open mind and a willingness to pivot, because I feel there's just so much arrogance in the medical community. And I see this every day with people I work with who come to me for help to get well, who, you know, completely reverse their, you know, terrible lipid profiles their metabolic syndrome all these problems that they've been having for years and years and years they go back to their medical doctor they tell them what they're doing they're eating you know pretty pretty much going against everything he's told them they're eating more saturated fats more high quality animal protein they're you know doing completely different types of exercise and the medical doctor rather than saying like hey maybe there's something here. Maybe I should call this guy Ryan and see what he's doing and maybe implement it with my other patients. No, he just says, no, 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 there's some sort of anomaly. You're doing everything wrong. You gotta go back to the low fat margarine nonsense that he's been trained in. And it just really drives me crazy that more people aren't like you, Gary, where you just said like, hey, let me go at this with an open mind. You know, I don't care what profession you're in, the amount of structured training you receive, whether you're a mechanic, a plumber, a, a health practitioner, whatever you are, really co- should comprise such a small percentage of your actual knowledge. Because as you learn and grow and experience different things in your, in your practice and just different novel ideas and philosophies, we all should be changing and pivoting all the time. Uh, but unfortunately, it, it's become more rare uh, than, than common uh, in today's you know world with everything going on. So I love what you shared and I love how open-minded you've been throughout your journey to make those pivots um, because it's not not commonplace
1: yeah i I think the art of medicine has been lost you know so much of the training is focused on following recommendations and people are married to those recommendations and then they change and they'll change when the recommendations change but there's a lot of fear i think so much uh, what people don't realize is it's scary to go through medical school and residency residency is overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Like what responsibilities and experiences you take on. And I think it, it takes a lot of, you know, courage I think to, to challenge it. Um, I think, you know, when you, when you look at older doctors, you know, if you've been recommending something for 30 years and here's some young guys like me, like saying, no, that's wrong. And here's all this other, research and evidence and ideas, it's a tough pill to swallow. Uh, Then you see folks that get later in their career and they, they're sick of it. They're sick of being messed with by insurance companies. They're sick of all the sort of traps and challenges created by our healthcare system. And so they step away and that's when they start practicing something different. Right. And you see that a lot. Um, And then when it comes to young doctors, like, look, you just spent over a decade training. This is what they taught you to do. You better believe it, right? So I get it. I get why it's so hard. And, and, you know, medicine has been traditionally very slow to change and adapt. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of problems when it comes to the influence of uh, uh, drug companies, the influence of food companies, the influence of insurance companies. I think the reimbursement schemes create huge challenges for doctors. I think I, I, most people know that the days of doctors being rich, I mean, it's not like a thing anymore, right? Doctors work hard, and you know they're service providers. and And more and more, it's very, very challenging. Um, you know you you have this huge amounts of doctor burnout. You have a lot of people struggling with with obesity and and mental health issues after training because it's so difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and And instead of adapting and changing, the healthcare system just kind of keeps plugging along, right? um and there's a lot of reasons for that and and it really you know it takes it takes someone you know and and look it's not just that I'm courageous and I do think that it took a lot of courage but I have so my mom's a doctor as I mentioned and she's just always been supportive of like think for yourself you know you are a smart guy you can integrate the information but don't be ideological so you know I I don't take I, I I have a lot of carnivore patients but I'm very even handed when it comes to that. Um, I don't shun people that are vegan because I understand that their goals are the same as mine and yours, right? That we might think that they're misguided, and I really do, but you know, that doesn't mean that they're wrong or or there's something bad about them. It just means that there's a different challenge to overcome. So, you know, I, I think that it healthcare is really, really failing us, I think it's really, really clear with this whole COVID thing that, you know, you have a vitamin D deficiency epidemic, you have a hyperglycemia, hyperinsulinemia, obesity epidemic, and then you add to that, like a virus that targets these kind of pathologies. And so you had this triple whammy and people got really sick and that's true across most of the world, right? So, you know, while this last year has been incredibly challenging for me, It has reinforced so much of what I do because the patients that listened, the patients that were on their health journey, the patients that started it because they were like, this is an opportunity. Those patients did great. They didn't go to the hospital. People with good supplementation regimens or good lifestyle practices, spending appropriate times in the sun, people that continued to exercise, people that understood intermittent fasting strategies and and, know what we talk about with like healthy animal foods they don't get sick like this, right? Like it's, this is not a virus that preys on them. And so I really, you know, I hate to bring up COVID all the time, but it's, it's a part of our life Mm -hmm. and, and it's, it should be a huge teaching lesson and a huge opportunity. I think we dropped the ball instead of initiating lifestyle medicine or lifestyle practices that could have really helped people or emphasizing the importance of supplementation. A lot of this stuff lived in sort of our communities and it wasn't, push to the public and that would have saved lives. I I really believe that, you know, if if there was a huge emphasis on vitamin D, there was a huge emphasis on exercise and, and, and not embracing obesity, like it's normal and it should be, you know, acceptable. It's not like you can't make, it creates problems. So, you know, I think that huge opportunity missed, but for me, it was a huge opportunity to really like reinforce what I've learned, add more layers to what I've learned and watch people just be incredibly successful. So, you know, it's really interesting. It's been a really interesting year to say the least.
0: Yeah. And I think it's just getting started. I think a lot of people are waking up to these realizations and understanding that, you know, it's not, uh, you know, they can't rely on external sources to take care of them. They got to really take back control of their own health and realize that it's their daily inputs and their daily choices that are going to leave them either susceptible to illness or more resilient. And we're still up against what I believe to be far bigger uh, problems than than this virus uh, being cancer heart disease diabetes neurological problems all sorts of different chronic illnesses that take out far more people every year than this virus does and it, it all comes back to the same recommendations though you know clean up your diet clean up your lifestyle and start taking better care of yourself and your chances of any of these problems just plummet you, you know you really are able to live a vital healthy lifestyle and regardless of your lifespan, you feel better every day, you know, you just increase your quality of life. So you're happy, you're vital, life is good. And so those are a lot of the things that, you know, we absolutely agree on. Uh, And and you mentioned one thing that I want to dive into more about, you know, the stressful aspects of the training you went through and how it really led a lot of people in this profession of, you know, of they've gone through the training you did into obesity and all sorts of other uh, chronic issues. And so I want to talk about stress because it's such a huge problem, especially now with all the fear mongering and you know that's just compounded what was already a stressful world we live in with you know environmental stressors like toxins, mental and emotional stressors with you know work and family and all these other things that we have going on. Uh, and you know so I want to have you kind of share with the audience uh, a little bit about acute versus chronic stress, and then kind of foray into some of your top. St- Top tips or strategies for stress management, and how people could really mitigate some of this stress in a healthy way.
1: Absolutely, <clears throat> um, you know all of the things you mentioned. Those stressors, I think about them as chronic stressors. They're things that pummel you, they beat you down, they make your body, your mind, your psyche just weaker. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of them you can't control. It's a it's a function of the world we live in. You know, I always use the example of traffic in Los Angeles. That's where I'm at. Um, but like you know, especially with what's been going on, you know, being stuck indoors, pressure to get a vaccine, not get a vaccine, uh, financial stressors induced by everything that's going on. These are all things you can't really control, and they really pummel you and break you down. And the common, I think, the common way we talk about managing stress is rest, right? It's it's take some time off. Sleep more, which is good, but not always a great idea. It's it's take a vacation, but you know we've all been on a vacation uh, where you come back and within 24 hours you get some nasty email and you're losing your mind again and you're right back where you started.
0: Or worse, so- because you come back to a few hundred emails and you feel behind. <laughs> you know.
1: Right, absolutely. And so I think that you know when you go and sit on a beach for a week or whatever, it doesn't really get you anywhere. It's a nice break, and I'm I'm all for it, but. It's not going to build you up. It's not going to make you more resilient. And I think that concept of resiliency is, is something people should really think about. Like when you live a lifestyle that challenges you, when you have a list, when you live a lifestyle that const- constantly creates acute stressors, whether that they're physical, mental, um, or even doing that shadow work, the spiritual work, challenging some of the stuff in your past, it, it's hard. Those challenges make the chronic stresses more tolerable. Resiliency is what you're after. Not, not just you stress, 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 and then rest. Stress, 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 and then rest. No, I want you to learn how as that stress climbs, you don't get pummeled by it. The stress goes up, but really it doesn't. You're able to manage it. You're able to tolerate it. You're able to swallow it and get rid of it. Um, and that. It's, you know, it's not perfect. Life is really hard. And sometimes you got to take a vacation. But if you create a life full of acute stressors, then you're going to be more prepared for the chronic stress in your life. And so it's acute. Sh- and so it's, when we talk about lifestyle medicine, a lot of the things that we're talking about actually create an acute stress for you. It, they challenge your body. They challenge your willpower. They challenge your, 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 your psyche. Like you got to make yourself do these things because they don't inherently feel good. Um, but when you make yourself do a really intense deep breathing session and really, really dive in, you change your hormone system, you change your brain chemistry, you create an environment where you're more resilient to the challenges in your life. So I always talk about the fi- my five acute stressors, because they're the ones that have naturally integrated into my practice as I give people recommendations, they're free. That's that's always a bonus. And and they're and they're evidence based and they're really supported by our history as human beings. So much of what I think about is like we were a very, very successful species. We we know how to be healthy. You know, Western medicine has done an amazing job dealing with things uh, like acute medical issues. Right. Uh, People used to die from a broken leg. We got that right. Uh, certain infectious processes. We've been able to get under control. Maybe we swing too hard to using too many antibiotics and things like that, but you can't, uh, you can't deny the power that Western medicine has had on humanity, but we've lost our way when it comes to being thriving individuals. And instead it's all about like dealing with whatever, like uh, complaint or medical problem it, that's in front of you. There's no concept of, well, this is a bigger picture. And what can I do to be healthy and stay healthy and really thrive? And I think you talk about that a lot. Um, it's not about like surviving. It's not about just going about your day. It's about thriving, being vibrant. I feel great. I try to, if I don't feel great, I'm, I'm wondering what can I do better, right? I want to feel great. So the five stressors that I always bring up uh, and I'll, I'll just run through them. And then we can talk about each, um, intermittent fasting, high-intensity interval training, cold immersion therapy, heat therapy, and deep breathing strategies. Um, it's just a way to think about these things. When you, you, know, when you start fasting, you're, it challenges your body, especially when you've been consuming meals frequently all the time, especially those with processed food and carbohydrates. Uh, it takes a while for your body to readjust, and it you know, puts you in a ketotic state oftentimes, and, and that's a challenge to your body but a challenge that your body will adapt to. And when you get adapted and your body learns to burn fat again and your metabolism heals, and you can, you can process when you do consume carbohydrates without getting inflammation, without having these nasty side effects um, you become stronger. And and that's a way to think about fasting is it's not just an eating strategy. It's a way to challenge your body. Um, It's challenge your mind. Like, yeah, you don't get to have the donut. Yesterday in my practice, a uh, rep, drug rep brought in like two boxes of donuts, even though they know I'm not into that. And for me, it's a nothing. I look at them. I'm like, this is a, what, I don't know. Like, why is this here? Right. But I, I can see people in my office, they struggle with that because you want it. Your brain wants it. It's like a drug. You know, when mm-hmm. you have that donut, it pushes dopamine in your brain. It's like an addictive process. And and people use food to to make themselves feel better. And I'm always like, if you're working, you're using food as fuel. You're not using food to make yourself feel. There's a time and place to use food to feel good. I don't, I, I support that too, but not, you know, at 12 PM when we have a five hour workday. And I just use that as an example, because that's what so many medical professionals hospital workers, uh, people that are going through residency in medical school, they're constantly brought these foods. And so the challenge is to have the mental fortitude to resist them right? So that fasting is another, that's a challenge. It's a stress, um, high intensity interval training. I know that's something you talk about a lot, but, you know, going for a jog for 20 minutes, that's moderate. It's that's moderate intensity. It's okay. It's good for you. I like it. Like do that, but watch your body, your brain, your mind, your whole life change. When you amplify those workouts, create these acute bursts of really intense exertion rest, and then you repeat, right. And you create these bursts of, of hormone, right? That it's pushing hormones. It's, it's pushing your brain to right, let's do one more set. Let's get into it. Right. And, and it's not just about looking good or getting muscles or, or just about cardio and, and being healthy. It's about like challenging your brain that I can do that. And I'm telling you, if you could force yourself to do high intensity interval training five or six days a week, the rest of life becomes so much easier because you've challenged yourself and, and you've given yourself something that's not rest it's challenge it's it's growth
0: yeah and it's quick you know it's time efficient because that's a, the number one excuse people have for not taking better care of themselves whether it be nutrition exercise sleep what have you is i don't have enough time and it's because they have this idea in their head that in order to exercise I got to drive to the gym. I got to spend 60, 75 minutes doing my cardio, then doing my weights. Then I got to shower, drive home. I don't have two hours to spare. It's like, yeah. no one has two hours to spare. Like we're all busy. But when you start to understand, you could do a seven or eight minute workout and in, in, integrate some of these interval training sprints. Like you're talking about, you're, you'll actually get better results. And there was a fascinating study out of the university of Colorado that showed two 22nd all out sprints on a bike over the course of seven minutes total outperformed 30 minutes of steady state cardio on that bike. So, I mean, it just goes to show like, you're doing less work, less time, but you're getting so much better in terms of your ROI and your results.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, there's some great research by Dr. Sean O'Mara that I brought up on uh, the Brent's podcast, Brent Pella, shout out to my guy. Um, he and basically he, he's using MRI studies to look at people's visceral fat because a lot of people can be really unhealthy and not objectively or yeah, like objectively look fat, right? Um, but their their numbers don't look so good. And so a lot of it is understanding that your body can gain fat inside and your organs could be covered in fat. You can have a liver that's full of fat because you're eating a lot of sugar and you're actually not looking fat, but metabolically speaking, you're not in good shape. And how powerful these kind of interval training processes can be specifically for that as compared to the longer, you know, less aggressive uh, protocols. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, the the funny part here, Ryan, is that all the stuff we talk about makes life easier. It takes less time. You spend less money. Like what we're suggesting does not require a gym membership. Uh, you know, eating less frequently means you're spending less money on food, right? Yeah. Um, you know, cold immersion therapy is, Very, very cheap. Anything from jumping in a cold shower on a daily basis to just buying a bucket with a hole in the bottom, throwing some ice in it, and like seeing how long you can sit in there and do some deep breathing. It's cheap. Deep breathing is free. You can get download a million apps or watch one of your YouTubes, or like it's all free and accessible. And I think part of the reason why you don't see a lot of push in that direction is again, people need to make money. We live in a very like financially driven society and And if we, if everyone listened to us and started doing 20 minute workouts in their house or on the street, the gym memberships are going to go down, you know, purchasing of equipment goes down. It's not, it's not, it's never going to be supported by big industries, uh, similar to our nutrition stuff. Like so much pushback on it is because it would destroy the financial, the financial structure of the food system we have. And as subsequently people will do better and less drugs will be uh, prescribed and used. So, you know, I don't think that's a, um, I don't think that's uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, like, uh, it's not a theory. It, it, this is common knowledge. This isn't like, yeah, it's not all, a conspiracy conspiracy. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. He's yeah, not yeah. like, I'm not, I'm not like making stuff up all that, You see all this stuff. Like you see, you know, that th- f- the food companies, their goal is to sell you more food. So, so sell you snacks, sell kids, snacks, create a fourth meal, emphasize the, Oh my God, you have to eat every two hours to keep your metabolism up. No, like there's no evidence. Where did that come from? I got taught that in medical school. Like, what are we talking about? You know? So I think a lot of it is just, you know, money. And, and, you know, a lot of what we do is, is a lot of, especially in my practice, a lot of what I do, I don't make money giving these recommendations. I don't make drug companies happy. There's no more drug companies come into my practice to promote their diabetes drugs because they know i'm not prescribing many of them um and and so it it, it's a lot of it's about financial incentives and so when we talk about this stuff it, it like you said in the beginning of the podcast it's about people taking responsibility for themselves stop looking to the government to give you recommendations that'll make you healthy they've proven to not be interested in that so that's okay they can do what they want you're you get to do you get to choose how you want to live your life? And I really like when I talk about these acute stressors, and I try to motivate people to start integrating them in their life. It's a challenge. It's like, do you want to thrive? Do you want to just passively wait till I put you on, you know, diabetes drugs in a few years? Or do you want to look at that fasting insulin level, even though your blood sugars aren't high, but your fasting insulin super high, and I'm like, you're gonna get diabetic. So let's, 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 do something now, so that we're not doing defensive sick care later. You know, that's a whole mental concept that people really have to embrace to to buy into what we're talking about. Um, and it's a big challenge. It's a big challenge. So, you know, I'm getting to the point with me that I don't push it on people. I, I used to like when I was learning, I'd learn something new every day, and I'd start t- teaching my patients about it, and it, it just like right over their head because. They're not in it like I am. They're not as invested in finding the best way to heal people, right? Um, but I have found out that there's a lot of people that are. Yeah. There's a lot of listeners. There's a lot of people online uh, listening to our podcasts, our YouTube, uh, reaching out to my office that are interested. So I started to really focus my energy on people that are receptive. Um, it's As a provider that's seeing patients all the time, it's very emotionally ch- tasking to put out that information all the time and maybe that's another reason why doctors don't do it it's much easier to write a prescription and say i'll see you in three weeks it's a five minute visit my visits often go 20 30 minutes i don't make as much money in my clinic that's not my motivation right now i'm trying to build my uh myself and my practice and my style and whatever you want to call it so that i could make meaningful recommendations and really be a positive force in this world and, and I think like success, I'm successful. It's fine. More success will come. It's not about whenever you're seeking that, whenever you're trying to say, Oh, I need to get to 25 patients in the day so that I can make my, you know, the amount of money I need, you're losing it. And, and I've been lucky enough uh, with the support of my family and with just figuring out the system to be able to make a living and figure out how to spend more time with patients and, um, That's the challenge. The challenge is this is like a a cognitive game. You've got to realize and accept that a lot of the stuff that's been going on for 60, 70 years in America has made us sicker. And really on a grander scale, you got to realize that we were not unhealthy hunter gatherers. We were very healthy hunter gatherers. Yes. Things took our life that we have fixed with our practices, but we were healthy people. We knew what to eat. We knew when to sleep. We knew how to have relationships. You know, and so a lot of it is just, you know, giving people that perspective of like, you don't need a, you don't need, you don't always need a double blind placebo control study to follow a recommendation. Sometimes it's enough to look back on history, understand our evolution as a species and use those as guiding lights. And I catch heat for that because in the Western medicine community, everyone's married to the double blind placebo control study. But then what they don't realize is so many of our lifestyle recommendations, nutrition specifically is, is not based on those studies. They're based on study epidemiological studies that are not good science. They're, they're like ideas, they're suggestions. They're not things that should drive our care. So, you know, as an example, the, the, our food recommendations, the recommendations for sugar intake, the recommendations for saturated fat and, and understanding our cholesterol, those came from epidemiological studies that never panned down in real science. But after you've been recommending them for 40 or 50 years, you built a whole industry prescribing cholesterol lowering drugs. You build a whole industry on low fat food products. Uh, you know, it's hard to reverse that. So it's so challenging. Um, but I do. I, I really see people opening their eyes and so like 90 percent of the patients i see are coming to me because they know that i only use pharmaceuticals thoughtfully i'm not a drug pusher and that i have some recommendations that might be different but might change your life and that's pretty powerful stuff
0: it's very powerful and that's the biggest thing is just having that informed consent because that's what's lacking in a lot of uh, conventional medicine is saying hey we have this metformin if you want to use it there that's an option but If we make these changes to your diet and lifestyle, you won't need it and let the person decide because there's always going to be people who don't want to change, who just say, give me the pill. I'm not going to change my diet. I've been eating like this for my whole life. And that's that. And that's fine. You know, we need a way to help those people. And that's, you know, what modern medicine does, but there's a growing number of the population that realize there's a better way. And there's not only a better way to reverse or manage illness, but also a better way just to live a better life, just feel better day to day and look better and perform better and all the different variables that, you know, come together to create our quality of life. And so that's really at the foundation, I think what a lot of people are after. So I, you know, you shared some great stuff. I want to kind of switch gears to talk about diet because I love this sapien yeah. framework that you've put together. And it's very in line with my philosophy of more of a animal based diet. And there's been so much propaganda and so much misinformation in the, in the world because. Like you said before, it comes back to the money. There's not a lot of money in grass-fed meats and, and healthy animals. Not in fats. America. Anyway. Not no. in America
1: anyway. It's different yeah. in
0: other countries. Sure, like, and yeah. and not to say that there's zero money in it. That obviously, the the farmers have to make a living. But when you compare it to these processed, carbohydrate-filled, shelf-stable foods, it's night and day. You know, in terms of the profit margins, and so that's why I think there's been a big push uh, towards this more plant-based agenda. And so I want to kind of. Have you break down your philosophy on nutrition and talk about some of the fallacies uh, surrounding mainstream recommendations with animal uh, protein and and fats, and then also talk a little bit about uh, vegetables and plant foods because you know they've been preached as the holy grail of nutrition, and you know there's um, emerging a- and a great body of of evidence demonstrating they're not great for everyone. And there's some compounds in there that are not serving you. And it could be actually a culprit in you know your gut issues, your inflammation. So let's, let's kind of dive into that next.
1: Yeah, so the Sapien framework, for those that aren't aware, it's really simple. Um, it's, it's a framework, it's not a diet, right? It's uh, eat a whole, whole foods diet. And more recently I've started just saying, look, it's an animal-based whole foods diet. I mean, it just, it is, and it's a tough pill for people to swallow. And I've used the word plant-based agenda and people get upset, but that's exactly what it is. I'm sorry. Also not a conspiracy. It just is what it is. Um, uh, focus on fat. I mean, focus on protein and embrace fat. So that's where I think I always defer from keto. Keto is really focused on being in ketosis and using fat as a fuel. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm always emphasizing you don't need to add a ton of fat. You just need to understand that fat is, is a fuel It's the preferred fuel. It's the fuel that your body's going to really thrive on. And oftentimes that amount, the perfect amount of fat is paired with the protein. And again, why animal-based is so important because so many, it's all set up for you. You just eat the steak. Don't get the super lean one. Don't eat the huge lobule of fat, but don't be afraid of the fat, you know? Uh, And then um, intermittent fasting. So, you know, condensed eating window, this idea that you don't need to eat two meals or every two hours, you don't, breakfast is not the most important meal of the day. This was made up by food companies, uh, but rather uh, be really thoughtful about when and what you put in your mouth and educate yourself about macronutrients and how protein is not a great source of energy or even a really meaningful source of energy, but is essential to being healthy, building your muscles, building all of the mechanisms in your body. um, And that if you mix, Fat and carbohydrates consistently together, your body's going to have metabolic problems because it's too much energy. They are just energy sources, and so embracing fat as an energy source and understanding that the world we live in is just pushing a carbohydrates down your your throat—no pun intended—but especially the processed carbohydrates. And most people don't understand that the wheat and the corn that we use in America is often processed. It's genetically modified. It's, it's not a natural per se form of consuming carbohydrates. So again, I'm not like keto. I'm not carnivore. I'm not obsessed with fasting. I'm, I'm trying to ex- basically take all these ideas that exist in the world and be like, they're all good ideas. And you need to understand how they fit together and create a diet that works for you. For, for some people, a pescatarian diet works where they're eating tons of fish and seafoods and you can do great with that. For some people, they're really sick and we try a carnivore diet as an elimination diet to take out all the things that could be hurting you uh, and focus on that really nutrient dense food. That's full of all of the things you really need to survive. Um, So I, I talk about, That is a kind of framework for leveraging intermittent fasting, embracing fat as an energy, really focusing on protein as the heart of your diet. Um, And then, and then there's this question that you alluded to of like, you know, of animal food versus plant food a lot of the history of animal food propaganda that it's bad for you that red meat is bad for you comes from and you could look this up in history books basically that it comes from some of it is religious agenda like the seventh day adventist church that was really against red meat for religious reasons i won't get into but that got anchored into our idea Um, some of it is it's you know food companies pushing their their plant-based products that are really really cheap to grow um, some of it is, you know, we, like in America, we subsidize corn, wheat, and soy. Cause that's what we do for farmers. And so they just grow more of that. So we have more of those food products. Um, so it's, it's just so multifaceted. There's so many components here and it's just been an evolution where we've gone away from our real, like the heart of our diet, which is really good animal foods and sort of focusing on plant foods and why I call it a plant-based agenda and tell me if you agree with me is that. Look, plants are not inherently bad. What you need to understand is that they have anti-nutrients, is that they're covered in pesticides, is that to get it to your plate looking just right, just perfect, it's not so good for the environment. There's a lot of waste. There's a lot of chemicals used. There's a lot of uh, byproducts of smaller animals and insects and other creatures that get killed in the process of you know growing all these plant foods when you don't do it in a Thoughtful, sustainable, regenerative agriculture system that you don't bypass the feedlots of the animal food world when you're buying all these plants. So, so that's a huge idea. And that you know, eating a ton of vegetables, especially the same vegetable all the time, you're really setting yourself up to get exposed to some chemicals or some products that within those plant foods that your body doesn't tolerate. Mm-hmm. You know, we can talk about how wheat, uh, especially processed wheat that we use. Really does. There's a lot of evidence to show that it breaks down your gut lining and that this could be a root cause problem of so many issues for people. And then, you know, you have this everyone's got gluten uh, sensitivity. Well, maybe we're all sensitive to this really weird product that we have created, that we have put in our bodies every single meal of every single day. Um, You know, I do a lot of education that it's not about plants versus animals, it's about processing, cooking, fermenting. Being thoughtful about everything that goes in your mouth and not, you know, not being obsessive about one thing or the other, but learning as much as you can. So I talk when it comes to plants, you know, when we talk about an elimination diet, it's get rid of the plant food, because I don't know what's in that plant food. I don't know what it was covered with. I don't know how your body's reacting to it. Should you really be eating spinach by the handful every day? Is that really a good idea? Do you really need 10 servings of fiber every day? Where did that recommendation come from? Is there any evidence to suggest that that is really good? Or is there actually some evidence to suggest that that causes bloating and constipation and doesn't help with any kind of cancer treatment? It's tough. It's tough because unless you're one of us that's obsessed with this, listening to all the podcasts, looking at the primary literature, it's hard pill to swallow uh, that you know plant-based is bad when you see... You know, you go on Shark Tank and if it's a vegan product, they're throwing millions of dollars at it. Like, oh, these guys must know what they're doing. No, they're trying to make money. Right. And so when you see people pushing vegan products or plant based products, it's because it's sexy and it's been really pushed as a concept. That's good. But it's it's not. It's not. That's not to say that plants are all bad, but maybe you should mix it up. Maybe you should eat seasonally. Maybe you should eat what's local to you. Maybe you should think about where your bloodline came from, and that some people might tolerate a bunch of sweet fruits, and other people might not because they never their their ancestors never saw those sweet fruits, and their body's carb tolerance is much lower there's it's so much mo- I, I was I'm all over the place, but you asked a lot of questions, and so I just want to paint this picture of like you really have to challenge the dogma that has been taught to you from from preschool to to kindergarten to on TV to your social media feed, you really got to like challenge it to start seeing through it. And, um, I hope more and more people are listening and it really feels that way. Um, you know, I think there's, especially when it comes to this plant versus animal stuff, there's a whole, there's basically the younger people, especially younger girls are like the, the target of the plant-based advertising. And it's so sad to see because, you can't develop a healthy hormone system. You can't have a nice, healthy, lean body. If you're not taking in enough cholesterol to make your hormones, if you're not taking in enough fat to have energy throughout the day, and you're just always hungry and always binging and always up and down. And I just see that so much. And I, I really worry that a lot of the advertising targets, young people, then they get sick slowly. Cause again plants don't make you sick right away, right? Or or a bad diet doesn't make you sick right away. It's an insidious process. It's, mm-hmm. it's a little bit at a time. And what happens is people get used to not feeling good. And yeah. you know, we keep emphasizing, I want to feel great. I want to thrive, expect to thrive and then ask yourself, is this food making me thrive? Or is this food being I'm being told to eat it? And that's why I'm eating it. So I don't know if that answered any of your yeah, questions. Yeah, that, that <laughs> answered that
0: answered most of them and I, I agree. I think there's three main categories of where people get led down this plant-based road. You have the health reasons, you have the ethical reasons, and you have the environmental reasons. And there's good arguments to really disprove a lot of the mainstream dogma in that, you know, for your health like you're outlining, we need these Micronutrients in their bioavailable forms. And that's what we get through animal products. You don't get them through plants in nearly appreciable amounts because of these anti-nutrients like lectins and oxalates and phytates and all these different defense system chemicals that they've evolved with because they can't run away. They can't defend themselves any other way. And those are really deteriorating your absorption of the nutrients you think that you're getting through plants. And then you have the environmental aspect. And like you shared, the monocropping and the kind of conventional agricultural system is destroying our environment. It, it's such unprecedented rates. It's, it's absurd. And when you look at regenerative, holistically managed, uh, you know, large ruminants, it's actually sequestering carbon, And it's the key to restoring our soils. And then you look at the uh, last component, which is the ethical side, and there's no animal free lunch. You know, if you're eating that soybean based, you know, impossible burger, many animals died for you to have that on your plate. And so you have to look at the bigger picture and really understand a lot of these things. Because like you said, it's hard to just see it on a surface level. And I think a lot of people do feel great on a vegan diet at the forefront. And it comes Mm -hmm. back to this adaptation that you talked about with the stressors. You know, It's a stressor changing your diet substantially. If you have this drastic change in your foods, it causes this increase in norepinephrine and growth hormone. And it can actually be, in my experience, a viable short-term strategy to do it for a week or do it for a couple of weeks. Yeah. But when you start to get, you know, adopt that belief system as a religion, and you start to really think like, "Hey, I felt good on this for seven days, so I'm I should do it for the next seventy years," it really starts to become a disservice. And like you said, it's such a slow downhill process that it's not like they just feel terrible mm-hmm. one day. It's a slow buildup to where they look back and they're like, wow, I've been doing this for five years. And I, I think I finally realize after my hair's falling out, my teeth cracking, my skin's a mess, and I can't eat anything without feeling bloated for four hours. Maybe I should uh, reconsider uh, these choices. So there's a lot of nuance and there's a lot of just, just uh, yeah, a lot of interest when it comes to different corporations and, you know, coming back to the money topic that I think are all at play with, with this movement. And
1: everything you said, it's funny. Like I said, half of that stuff to my patient yesterday. I had a young girl who came to me because she's struggling. She's struggling with her energy. She's struggling with her skin tone and her muscle tone. And so many people think they have to just exercise nonstop to maintain themselves. And if that's true, your, your diet's failing you. You know, like um, the interesting part about how I presented a bunch of things uh, to, at that moment that you asked me the question, then you presented it in different ways. And if we did this conversation again, we'll present another batch of kind of ideas and and little sayings like, you know, the plant can't run away from you, but you know, there, there's so much of this. And, and so I find, you know, my challenge uh, is how do you reach people, right? So a lot of the time when I'm on podcasts or when I'm talking to patients, I, I leave out certain big words or certain scientific concepts because I think it's overwhelming. And I think if we're really gonna make a dent in the community, in the population and, and really reach more and more people, it has to become practical. It has to become a little bit anecdotal. It has to become just palatable, like you can grab it. You know, A lot of people get scared off by um, real technical talk, but at the same time, what you said when you include these terms that's what people need to learn about, right? Like you need to learn about how your hormone system and how your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system change your body. You know, people need to learn about your gut health and how your colon and your small intestine and your pancreas and liver all work together, how your blood glucose management. I just wish that, that there was way more of a expectation that people know that, right? Instead of just blindly following things. Yep. But simultaneously, like... It's hard to educate people on that. So by creating some kind of simple ideas, like a lot of the patients I saw this last week, I'm just like, look, you, you've, you've embraced the 16:8 method. So 16:8 is a form of intermittent fasting where you eat for eight hours and you don't eat for 16 hours. You hydrate, you, you do all sorts of other things. But you know, people seem to be really open to that lately and they're like, oh, I can do that, right? And so then I'm just like, look, no, no wheat, no corn. That means like no bread, no pasta, no tortillas. uh, And, or I'll say no cereal if they're a person that's like crushing cereal cereal two times a day. Sometimes it's, we love it. We love to get into it. We can dive into studies and all that, but it's simple, right? Like what we're talking about is simple. We can get into the research to talk about, you know, the benefits of heat therapy and uh, heat shock proteins being released, and and how you know deep breathing strategies change your b- brain chemistry, but it, you don't need to understand all that. You just need to understand that those are things that human beings have been doing for millions of years. That it's how we evolved: being cold, being hot, not eating, then fat, then fasting, then feasting. Uh, exerting or running after something, then resting, having a siesta, focusing on uh, following the patterns of the, of all the research. I love the community. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep writing books and making podcasts, but in the end of the day, at some point, someone's need to get needs to be able to get on TV and say these really simple things, because that I think is really where it's going to like transform a lot of people that aren't already pursuing this information. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, I always go back and forth because my practice has, now it does, especially in the last year. A lot of people that come to me looking—they're hungry. They've listened to the podcast, they've let, read books. They're, they've been referred to by guys like you to come and see a doctor that gets it. Um, but I really want to see how we can reach more and more people. So, so many of the, so much of when I'm talking, I just want to simplify it, like simple, simple, simple. Sixteen eight. Just eat two meals a day move on with your life. Don't worry about it so much. Hydrate like crazy drop. You know, we didn't mention this idea of like salt is bad and sugar is okay. Well, where did that come from? Yeah. Like it's crazy, right? Salt is essential. If you don't, yeah. you know, it's funny. Patients are older patients come into the, you know, the, the same nephrologist that says eat a low salt diet, then sees the patient in the hospital and puts them on salt tabs. And then the diet they get in the hospital is a heart healthy diet or a renal diet. That's low in salt, but then they're on salt tabs as a medicine. And so there's so many of these like inconsistencies and misunderstandings. And I think it even, even the doctors, even the nutritionists, they don't, they don't see it. They don't see it. They they separate the nutrition from the medicine, the blood work from the person in front of them. And they don't, you know, you mentioned holistic, that's the holistic approach is like, who is the person in front of me? What do they really need to thrive? Um, They don't need sugar. They definitely need some salt. They definitely need a good source of energy and they need magnesium and B vitamins and vitamin D and so many of these things that never got taught about in school, never hear about it in the hospital. Uh, Patients are confused because they get advertised some crazy supplements, but they don't understand the power of just taking a good magnesium supplement. it's simple, but it's really confusing, you know? And, and I really always emphasize that it's okay to be confused. It's, it's a very like bizarre world we live in where you get an advertisement for a carnivore by a carnivore doctor and then get an advertisement by a vegan doctor. And you're like, what, how the hell is this possible? Yeah. It, It causes cognitive dissonance for people and they're very confused. And then they end up not doing anything and just like doing what they're doing and, you know, It's, um, it, you know, my dream is to really, really find a way to simplify this. And that's the mission of sapien. That's like me and Brian's whole thing is embrace everyone. Don't ostracize people, but create an education that is, that is easily palatable, easily integrated into your life.
0: And that's the key. That's the key, man. And it all comes back to this concept I talk about a lot of just rewilding yourself, you know, it's this domestication of humans that we live in these temperature controlled environments under artificial junk lights in front of screens. And we don't do any of the things that enable us to thrive and that our ancestors have done for millennia of just getting outside in the sun, getting your bare feet on the ground, moving your body, you know, like you said, with the circadian rhythm and aligning your sleep Mm -hmm. cycles and wake cycles, all those things, they're very intuitive. uh, When you start to really make some of these switches. And I think that's a big a big driver of illness and and poor health is just how domesticated humans have become in the world that we live in. And
1: it's only going more in that direction, which is why understanding, why presenting it as these acute stressors, another term we've tried to use is ancestral hacks, right? Because again, all of these things is just looking at our ancestors, what they did and how we can mimic them. The screens aren't going anywhere the, you know, the, the population is growing and we're going to have more and more of these infectious problems. So we have to adapt. We have to embrace the technology. We have to embrace the ability that you and I can have this great conversation, not being in the same city, although you're not that far away, but you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. we can do this and it's powerful and we can share a message with so many people, but you know, right before this, I did like 45 minutes of sprinting and I feel freaking amazing. So now I'm going to do some kettlebell swings earlier. So even though I'm going to spend a lot of time in a pronated position on the computer today, I'm also going to counterbalance that with an exercise regime. That's going to build my muscles and make me resilient to sitting in that position all day. And I'm going to get a million phone calls and my brain's going to get overloaded uh, because of all the people I have to take care of. But I ran, I challenged myself. I was working hard this morning. So you okay. 10 calls will come in. All right. I'll take them one at a time. But if i didn't do those things and when i lose those uh mechanisms it because starts bearing down on me and i start getting stressed and worried and anxious and it's just like i see it in my own life it rubs off on my friends and family around me i see it with my patients it's easy it's easy but you gotta make a commitment to yourself you got to do it like you just have to do it and even though it's 20 minutes ryan it might be a lot easier to just go on the treadmill really slowly for an hour and feel good about yourself than it is to sweat hard and breathe hard and feel really uncomfortable for 20 minutes, right? So I also understand why people are so resistant to a lot of the things we talk about. It's, it's challenging to convince someone to take cold showers. you know, or jump in a cold bucket. That's the hardest one, right? I can get someone in the sauna and then I'm like, Hey, just stay in the sauna five minutes more than you really want to do some deep breathing and then get out. You know what I mean? Like that's an easier sell if you will, but uh, it's about, uh, you know, and I'll add to this whole acute stressors. uh, uh, It's about stacking them and manipulating them, not being too dogmatic. Uh, Some people really get fall in love with one thing or the other, and that's great, but it's about integrating all of these practices into your life and and this is not all of them by the way this is just like five that i think are low-hanging fruit Mm -hmm. anyone could do this you could listen to this podcast today you can go and take a cold shower and do some deep breathing download the wim hof app or or watch a documentary and, and do some wim hof breathing strategies there's just a million ways to do it so it's fun it's fun it's really exciting to see how people just change i had i had a I just, I had this lady who I was on five drugs right before COVID. She was a provider. She's a nurse practitioner. She really bought into what I was talking about. listening on my podcast, committed herself hardcore for six months, started the sun exposure, started um, meditation practice with deep breathing, went on the sapien diet. We got her off all but one drug. Uh, She's just like, look, I got COVID. I was so nervous. It went away in two days. And my colleagues... They were sick for weeks and some of them went to the hospital. And I, 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 you know, she was thanking me because she was like, I know I would have been one of those people because of how I was living. And, you know, the more and more of those experiences I have, the more and more confident I become standing up to the Western medicine, traditional practices and being like, Hey, that's great. I'm not saying it's bad, but let's add something more to it. Let's be thoughtful. Let's be, uh, Open-minded. Let's be considerate to the other people around us. Let's support each other to be healthier. You know, like I'm really getting into it now, trying to educate. uh, I'm trying to, I'm working with this physician uh, that, that runs an academic program for residents. And we're trying to like teach them lifestyle medicine practices for themselves because they're struggling. You know, I can't tell you guys how many people gained 30, 40 pounds while we were in medical school because they were stressed. You had to test two times a week. You had to learn like you were drinking from a fire hose. And, and what do you do just like anyone else? You use food, you use rest, you use comfort seeking behaviors to, to get through it. But what did that do? That made them worse by the, by the end, they were in a much worse shape than they were at the beginning instead of taking a break and going for a hard run for 20 minutes and then getting back to it. And now your brain's firing in all cylinders and you can do the same amount of studying you would do in five hours and two hours because you're, you're sharp. You're not like dulled by the food you're consuming throughout. So got, got to teach the doctors, got to teach the students, got to teach the youth. Uh, we got to build our community, man. Like it's, it's so important. Absolutely.
0: Well, I love the work you're doing, Dr. Gary. I know we could talk all day about this stuff and we didn't even get to touch on a few topics, uh, you know, related to, uh, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy oh. and other modalities, but I gotta let you go today. Cause I got another call coming up, but I want to, uh, definitely have you back on the show and I want you to share where people can go to learn more about your work and to maybe become a patient in your practice and just learn more about your, you know, the, the information you're putting out.
1: Absolutely, and I will definitely be back on. And psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy is another passion of mine because it is so powerful and special, and the future is bright with that. So we will do that. But yeah, if people are interested, they could reach out to me. Um, I'm most active on Instagram at drgaryevolve. Um, if you want to connect with me and my practice, evolvehealthcare.com, and we're taking always taking consults. Uh, you can actually just call the office and schedule something with me um and then if you want to learn more about the sapien diet and lifestyle it's all at sapien.org and if you want to hear me talk way 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 more uh it's called the sapien podcast and we've got uh, episodes diving into all of the
0: topics we talked about today incredible man well appreciate you dr gary keep up the great work and we'll we'll connect again soon man thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode if you found it helpful Please share it along to anyone else you believe it can serve. You can find the show notes and resources we discussed at ryankennedyshow.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review for the show. Your feedback helps to support me on my mission to positively impact as many people as possible with this information. Much love, everyone.